0: I've seen multiple different times that the sales team is your number one advocate when it comes to e-commerce. They can make or break an e-commerce implementation.
1: Welcome, Derek. I think a lot of people in the industry might know you since you're very active on LinkedIn. But for those who do not know, can you please explain to our listeners more about your background? Yeah,
0: I've been in the e-commerce space pretty much my whole career, dabbling between the marketing and e-commerce areas. I've really kind of served as the business side requirement deliverer in a lot of implementations that I've worked on for a lot of different organizations.
1: Cool, cool. And you're currently working at which company?
0: Yeah, I've recently actually just joined AIA Corporation, which is a promotional products service provider. So they are helping smaller distributors really work with suppliers and helping those distributors maximize their businesses through a myriad of
1: different services including e-commerce so really in the b2b space yes very much distributors yeah cool cool yeah so talking about that so i think looking at your linkedin and also the pre-talk we had you have a lot of experience in b2b and e-commerce now you're maybe more on the on the marketing side of things but before Yeah, working in the different e-commerce teams. Yeah, this will be very valuable, I think, for the listeners of the show today. So in general, what is your experience with implementing B2B e-commerce solutions? So just from your history, what, what kind of projects have you seen? What kind of different industries? Everything was relevant.
0: Yeah, I've been lucky enough to work in many different industries with my e-commerce experience. Everything from a food manufacturer that really provides technology behind the food Mm -hmm. to industrial equipment manufacturers to just serving, working at a platform, even an e-commerce platform and helping many different organizations maximize those e-commerce platforms that we were then implementing for them. So as I touched on with the food implement, the food manufacturer, should I say, we implemented SAP Hybris as an organization there and really to serve our smaller, I would say, mom and pop owners, Mm -hmm. but still B2B. And really, it was the first foray into e-commerce for that organization with that implementation. Obviously, for equipment manufacturers, a large part of their revenue comes from the aftermarket space selling parts for their industrial equipment. Mm -hmm. So helping a lot of different everything from vehicle manufacturers in the off-road space, as well as large equipment, as well as industrial equipment in factories, helping those equipment manufacturers sell the aftermarket parts and service related services needed to
1: maintain those products long term. Awesome, awesome. So, and actually, it's, it's really interesting if I, if I listen carefully. So, and you have been on the customer side of things, or let's say from my perspective, on the customer side of things, you know, running a B2B e-commerce store. But you also worked at uh, at a company that was actually delivering a platform, an e-commerce platform. Mm-hmm. You have experience in food and beverage, as well as in after parts for, for vehicles. So although it's old, it's B2B, but I think it's still totally different worlds, right? So maybe a nice question which just pops up in my mind listening to you is how does, let's say, after parts sales differentiate from food and beverage from a B2B perspective? Definitely.
0: Obviously, the products are vastly different to start Mm -hmm. with. So if we touch on products there in food and beverage, you have really products based on expiration, Mm products by food and beverage. So they need to be sold within certain time frames, they come in varying degrees of packaging, one item may have several different packaging types that need to be showcased from a product standpoint. And then obviously, I mentioned the expiration, Uh, food is produced within lots. So as those lot due dates come or those expiration dates come, that product needs to move. Otherwise, it will essentially be null and void, you don't have the products no longer valid, no longer useful. So there is an urgency and kind of that need to always be on top of inventory there. And when it comes to the customer base in food and beverage, I think it's a little different depending on who you're selling to, whether you're selling to an end-use operator like we were, or if you're pushing products into, say, a distributor who is then distributing to, you know, whether it's a grocery store, box store, et cetera, or that distributor is selling to franchises there's a myriad of different complications that come with those things. So it really depends on, again, inventory. Pricing is a big one that comes up. There's a lot of contract pricing in food, obviously. And as you look at the food supply chain, each different stakeholder down the pipeline has a different cut of the margin there. So they're all, they are all want to see their pricing appropriately. Many different price lists being managed there. Uh-oh. In the aftermarket space, I would say it's, It's usually you're working with either a dealer or an end-use operator, again, as equipment manufacturer. So you're selling into that dealer that's then going to service that equipment, or you are selling to an individual, maybe a fleet owner that is going to have his internal service team maintain that piece of equipment. So it really depends there, again, on the type of information you're sharing. Obviously, that fleet owner, that individual operator is going to need more of that data to actually install that product, install that part, repair the piece of equipment. Whereas the dealer probably already has technicians trained by the manufacturer on how to service equipment. It has that data there. They are oftentimes more concerned about price and timing of getting that product.
1: Wow. Nice summary of these two different industries, I would say. And that was also the reason why I wanted to know, because I think, yeah, we always talk about B2B, but there is such a variety if you also take the industry aspect to it, or the or the end user that you're actually serving, I think there is one common thing, and that's complexity, right? Where which food and beverage it is, around expiration date, lot numbers, pricing, and so on. And on the other end with after sales, it's about you know yeah your fleet, uh, what is in your fleet, your fleet owners' information on you know what what elements are there. So yeah, definitely we we will touch upon that later in this show about how can you overcome these challenges and. How can technology help there to get there? So, but in general, when you were working on these e-commerce or these B two B e-commerce projects, what were most of the time the goals? How did you manage or measure success? Let's say so. What was what was what you were looking at?
0: Yeah. So if we look at the project of uh, implementing SAP Hybris for the food company. A large part of that was adoption. A lot of these customers were already ordering through an internal sales team. It was about self-service and gaining that customer adoption, really making it easier for those customers, as well as reducing the impact on our existing sales team so they could go out and find more customers Mm -hmm. through prospecting efforts. So one evaluation of success or one key KPI there was adoption, obviously, Revenue is always an increase in revenue. Mm -hmm. If you're doing e-commerce, it's always on the checklist there. But then on top of that, it really became about information and consumption of information. In the food space, we offered a large amount of recipes that could be utilized with these products. So really seeing the consumption of that data and the consumption of those recipes into owner's menus, into really allowing for, again, that increase in revenue, but making sure you can deliver that additional marketing
1: content that will help these owners succeed was a big evaluation there. Okay. And so about consumption of this information, was it like views or something that you mentioned, like the pieces of content or or even further down the funnel, let's say the real usage of the ingredients in, in the menus?
0: Yep. Yeah. So we actually tracked it a few different ways. Obviously, okay. yes. Page views being... Being a leading indicator is what I would say, yeah. but then it, hopefully a leading indicator that led into product purchasing. So okay. as these recipes are viewed, are the sales for those products increasing?
1: Awesome, awesome. Okay, and then you want to mention something about after about the after after sales or the part sales. Is that were there different KPIs there or different measurements of success or or more or less the same? I would say a large part of that
0: working with industrial equipment manufacturers was just the collection of data was a huge measurement. So while it didn't actually impact the sale, it does impact sale, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it was pre-sale, a lot of pre-sale work in that standpoint of getting all of that product data together and really creating that centralized repository of all the parts information Whether it's coming from engine engineering, whether it's coming from master data management, whatever team the data is coming from, but really creating that repository of product data Mm -hmm. was a very large undertaking. And that in itself was considered a a big goal in a lot of the e-commerce projects for industrial equipment manufacturers. Just just getting it digital. Very much so. A lot of times they were not the most digitally mature organizations. When we think industrial manufacturing, obviously there is that robotics side, there is that automation side in the production standpoint, but a lot of times their tech
1: stacks are fairly dated. Okay, nice. Nice information. And yeah, I can imagine that that is challenging to meet these goals. So in your opinion, what is the most challenging when implementing a B2B e-commerce solution and you want to get to that success?
0: Yeah, the, there's two major challenges I've experienced on a consistent basis mm-hmm. across all the projects I've worked on. Obviously, I've touched a lot on product data. That's a big one. Not having the right product data, not having enough product data, so on and so forth. There, but one that is drastically more important in my opinion is having support for the project. Having support in the sense of having a digital vision for the for the company, essentially. How is e-commerce going to improve the customer experience? Great. That's relatively understood a lot of times. But more importantly, how is e-commerce going to improve how the company operates? A lot of times that's not fully thought through with the the initial project kickoff. So understanding how business processes hopefully don't have to change drastically, but will need to change or be automated to fulfill e-commerce and really reduce the friction on the end customer. But also
1: streamline processes internally within the organization. And touching upon the first part, so about product information management or getting your product data in the right place. So what are there any practical tips or steps to take? Or obviously, yeah, we've talked more about in this show about maybe implementing a PIM system, you know, product information management. SAP hybrid has probably also PIM functionality in it, but ranging from let's say practical tips or where where to start from how to achieve your goals? Is there anything that you can advise to the listeners?
0: Yeah, obviously starting with your most sold products, period. That, that's going to be the easiest win in a lot of cases because yeah, if they're nice being tactic, sold... Yeah. If they're being sold well already, chances are they're going to increase that. And if not, even increase more with additional product data associated with them. Mm -hmm. And then as you look at, you know, going beyond products, even out to categories and looking at, all right, what are your most popular categories? What categories do you really want to be known for as, you know, a distributor, as a manufacturer? So having those category build outs then with those associated products in them and building out the appropriate attribution per category as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a great tip. And we often talk with customers or prospects and say, "Yeah, hey, we have six hundred thousand, you know, SKUs, our items to to be sold, or products to be sold, and we want them all on the platform. Where to start? You know, <laughs> getting your data ready for six hundred thousand products is not not an easy job. But if you just if you have data on on what are your most sold products, it's an obvious choice to start there, right? So that's an easy and great tip. Taking the other challenge, I think you're we're talking mostly about internal. Now not only internal adoption but also just the sense of urgency or the, the vision on to how to go digital as a company. Yeah, in your experience, what, what can you do about that? Uh, imagine you're an IT manager or a director of commerce and you have this dream of digitizing everything because you see great future for your customers, but the rest of the organization is just not there. Is that something that you have that you're familiar with or that you have felt?
0: Yes. I would say a large part of that is getting leadership on board. If yeah. it comes from the top down, the friction is far reduced. The CEO's on board. If the president's on board, whoever the top stakeholder is, is on board, then your path to digital transformation is so much smoother through e-commerce. What I would say is obviously, sometimes you're lucky enough to be partnering with an organization or working for an organization where that CEO or that president is very much on board right away. They, mm-hmm. they see it, they see the benefit of it. And sometimes you have to convince them, whether it's through a myriad of tactics, You know, showing the impact it could have from a revenue standpoint, showing the impact it has from a customer standpoint, Showing the impact it has of not doing anything often Mm -hmm. works quite well. The fear of missing out is very real for a lot of presidents
1: and CEOs. So adapting to that as well. Yeah. That last one, I I really like that one. We didn't touch upon that a lot of times in this show, but not doing anything is also a way to show an impact if you're, so the fear of missing out, let's say, hey, yeah, maybe competition will go that way and we will just be stuck here. So we Mm -hmm. need to act. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great one. Is is that just talking about a topic or just showing them, let's say, some kind of a future saying, hey, if you're not doing this, sales will go like this or something?
0: I would say it's the opportunity cost that Mm -hmm. can be calculated. So you can actually calculate the opportunity cost of not doing anything there. Obviously, it's all projections and sometimes assumptions there, but there are real numbers that can be shown from an opportunity cost or opportunity loss standpoint. Understood,
1: understood. Hey, touching upon products again. So yeah, thirty-five percent of buyers struggle to find, let's say, the desirable products on e-commerce websites. So due to poor, you know, site structure, navigation. Yeah, you mentioned already head product data is one of the biggest challenges, but what are your tips to improve findability of products in, in the B2B web store? What have you seen working in these in these projects that you managed?
0: Yeah, I'm a huge proponent for product taxonomy as a foundation when a project is being built products are being built out into an e-commerce system. So starting with most popular products and categorization. I've done this a few times, but I like to take top 100, top 1,000, even top 500 I've done and really just lay out those products into groupings. If there's not an existing taxonomy, which most cases there is, and it just needs to be modified. But if there isn't, it's really establishing, all right, how will products best lay out on this? You can do it with post-it notes. You can do it in a jam board. There's multiple different ways, multiple different tools that you can utilize to build out these categories from a foundational standpoint. But starting with your top sold products is a great way to really establish that initial hierarchy from a categorization standpoint. And then once you're at that point, building the appropriate subcategories underneath there from a taxonomy standpoint is huge. Don't go too many, don't go too few is what I always say. A lot of times you'll see organizations that have over in categorization. So meaning they have a category for essentially every product type they offer. A lot of that can be done via attribution. No. So it's knowing when and where. Typically there's, a, there's kind of a steadfast rule of two to three levels of categorization and cut it off, but it's unique to business. There can be some businesses where two to three is not even going to scratch the surface and they need seven levels of categorization. So it really depends on the product mix they're offering and the different audiences they're serving as well. You can do categorization based on persona and segmentation as well.
1: No, it really, really depends un- there. Understood. And I can imagine that it's also, it, it can create quite a lot of manual work. So are there any shortcuts to take? Let's say, so if you want to, what is the importance of integration, let's say, so maybe with, with the product information management systems or with an ERP, in your opinion, cannot speed up the project or is it, let's say, a must have or is it something that you say, hey, no, everything needs to be done manually and uh, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I would hope everything doesn't have to be done manually. That will create a lot of work. Obviously, integrations with an ERP system or a product information system, Both are going to be a necessity. An e commerce platform is really designed at the commerce portion of Mm -hmm. the transaction. That is the primary function of the e commerce platform, in my opinion. A lot of them have product information capabilities. Some of them have payment capabilities. Some of them have a myriad of additional capabilities that can be bolted on or come natively. But utilizing the appropriate tool for the right task is always key. So, from a product information standpoint, housing that information there and pulling in it appropriately. So lessening the degree you really need to do expand on attribution or even categorization in an e-commerce platform and already having that in a PIM is
1: only going to expedite things. Yeah. Bringing you quickly to the market and then doing everything in a manual way, making the jump to the other problem that you mentioned. So yeah, we had products, but you also had, let's say internal adoption or in in, in first actually was more about the vision convincing leadership but then there are more people in an organization that needs to be motivated so what is your take on for example the value of sales reps can have eh, after the sales or after the e-commerce solution has been implemented or how to get these these guys on board as well yeah I it is my opinion
0: and I think there's some data out there I've seen multiple different times that the sales team is your number one advocate when it comes to e-commerce they can make or break an e-commerce implementation. If they are on board and see the benefits of what this can do for them and the customer base, but let's be honest, we we all know how sales is. It's a lot of times about how it can help them sell more. So if it can help them sell more, it's going to gain adoption relatively quickly internally. And then from there, it'll gain adoption with the customer base. But if you can showcase, here's why you need to utilize e-commerce to the sales team and it doesn't hurt to incentivize them. A lot of organizations have used, you know, whether it's spiff structure to incentivize e-commerce orders over mm-hmm. traditional orders that then have to be entered manually into an ERP system or what have you. There is cost savings there. So taking some of that cost sa- saving, incentivizing the sales team to push that, whether that continues long term or not is another question. But incentivizing the sales team appropriately to go down this journey and digital transformation effort with e-commerce adoption really helps the organization as a whole. So getting the sales team on board is a huge, it's almost a requirement for a successful project in my mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree as well. And and yeah, strangely enough, it's often forgotten, let's say. So, hey, I mean, yeah, more like it's like a competition, huh? sales against the e-commerce channel. But if you co up, yeah, that's that's so much stronger. And if you put the incentives right, most of the time things go easier, let's say, like that. Yeah, any experience also, because it's also about, of course, and. Yeah, yeah taking them as their as your number one advocate but maybe practical there are also some ways to yeah maybe they need to be taken by the hand or something like that is that something you have experienced as well during the project you did or was it most of the time hey guys here's the storefront try it out and see what's happening or can you explain what what works well well
0: I'll actually kinda of take that and also allude onto it or add on to it. What I'm used to seeing within organizations that are having sales teams adopt and really utilize e-commerce is when they're going to customers, obviously they're demoing the storefront, showing the functionality that customers can gain. But Adding a second level to that of allowing the sales team to actually access the e-commerce platform, have a hub within the e-commerce platform where they can identify their benefit. Here's my customer portfolio, here's what my customer portfolio is ordering. Here's from there, whether it's whatever terminology we want to use, predictive analytics, AI, etc., showing these customers are more likely to order these things. These customers are low on their order volume for this month. Utilizing those type of functionalities to drive activity with the sales team is only going to help. And I think that's one of the major areas where a sales team can see benefits and really then gain that adoption if you can provide that as, as an organization to your sales team would be a big one. And then obviously there's a myriad of additional upsell, cross-sell functionality. So when a sales team is, whether it's allowing for the day-to-day orders to be processed, when the sales team goes to that customer then and realizes, hey, you've ordered this product on a consistent basis, turns out this other product is probably more effective for your business. Would you like to switch this? And turns out that product also has a higher margin. So it proves more revenue for the company in the end.
1: Yeah, more revenue and be more consultative to your customer, right? It goes hand in hand. Yeah. Now, awesome example. So we have talked about, let's say, so yeah, what you need, let's say, so to have successful implementations, right? Which which hurdles to overcome that you get need to get leadership on board that you need sales reps on boards as well as your your number one advocate, but more on the feature level, maybe more one product man to another product man, or enthusiast talking. So yeah, we also talked about the need of integration in that sense, but what are must-haves or or basic needs? Doesn't really matter if it's food or after sales, but in in terms of what are the basic needs for every B2B e-commerce solution, in your opinion, because you're, yeah, once again, for the listeners you have worked on, a Uh, building your platform yourself as well
0: so yeah basic needs of b2b e-commerce from that standpoint obviously you're going to have from a customer perspective you're going to have users and you're going to have accounts that's Mm -hmm. standard in b2b you need to be able to serve both and then on top of that there may be multiple different levels within there so you know i don't want to go too Beyond basic, but you need even workflow a methodology for order approval, order routing, etc. within organizations in B2B. That's becoming quite standard nowadays. A lot of customer uh, organizations are requesting, yeah, the buyer team can put this together, but somebody else needs to approve it. So we need that workflow methodology. And if you go beyond that, then obviously you need to be able to provide customer pricing. That's a necessity in B2B. A lot of times customers have their own pricing. There's contracts. There's negotiation being involved. There's terms for payment that needs to be included. If you go down the gamut essentially of how businesses interact, a lot of time it's contract basis. So being able to replicate that contract within the e-commerce organization is key, whether that affects inventory hold, inventory allocation, whether that affects pricing, as I already mentioned, whether that affects only being able to see specific products. If you're a food distributor, per se, and you're selling to many different franchises, you don't want to show Subway's inventory to Chipotle that's not something that can be allowed. So making sure you're showing the correct products, product association from a catalog standpoint is key. And then when we get to actual uh, payment, different companies want different payment needs. Some wanna pay with purchase order, some wanna pay by credit card, some wanna pay by ACH, some wanna pay however they desire. So having the flexibility I think is the biggest thing of just basics in B2B e-commerce. If I could say all of that in one sense, you need a flexible e-commerce platform, mm. one that can adjust to your appropriate business type.
1: Yeah, no, nice nice summary again. It was maybe not one feature. I was also not asking for it, but it's it's more like a general overview. And that's also why we are having this podcast because it's still so mo- many times misunderstood that we that it's they like B2C or maybe a little bit more complex. But yeah, having guys like you on the call really helps to explain that there is a lot more to take and a lot more to think about. Still taking, of course, the customer experience as easy as possible. So I can imagine that to solve all this complexity, that's that's quite quite hard, right? We talked about, you know, real inventory that needs to be there, it's per customer. We talked about pricing and different pricing structures. So yeah, how can you overcome these things or how can you, how can you make that happen? Because most of the time these things are maybe in, in ERP systems or they are in warehouse management systems what have you seen working or what what was not working?
0: I would say it's having an appropriate integration strategy to start with. It's what lives where and knowing your tech stack as an organization is key. And whether that's going to move or whether that's going to stay within those existing platforms is very important to understand. And then on top of that, how do those processes work in those systems? And at what point do they need to interact with the e-commerce platform? Obviously, we've both you and I have done the mapping exercises of when data needs to flow in and out of e-commerce platforms and into other systems. But knowing that just as a business standpoint is very key as well, because if your sales team doesn't understand that this needs to go through a credit hold process and then get approved from an inventory standpoint, a lot your sales team could be end up very upset in the end of the day because they're not being able to fulfill their customers and their customers are calling them asking where their product is. So understanding that and having a map to share with your entire organization, whether you, for a lack of a better term, dumb it down so everybody can understand it. You don't see the intricacies of what systems are actually doing, but you can understand how those systems are passing the data, and passing the order information is key. Really visualization helps everybody in that standpoint.
1: Nice. That's another small tip or a big one that you, that you just squeezed there into the lines because it was mapping it out is something that, I didn't hear often, but that is that is another way on how to bring that complexity maybe more to life. What system is doing what, where does it come from, and how does it all interact? So yeah, that's, that's one I will definitely write down, and I will see if we can reuse that more. So that's, that's great. Thank you. So food and beverage, e-commerce, after sales, building your own platform, what e-commerce achievement or B2B e-commerce achievement are you the most proud of? And why? Uh,
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. I took some time to think about this before we had this discussion and really, I don't know that it's an achievement so much as something I'm able to do on a consistent basis. And that's just educate people. Mm-hmm. I'm very much a proponent and an evangelist for B e commerce or for e-commerce in general. It is really the the future forward as far as I'm concerned. E-commerce is the transformation of existing business processes into technology, into electronics, into that is really the basis of what e-commerce means, electronic commerce. So to that standpoint, if I can deliver information, if I can help organizations, that's what I want to do. So it's not necessarily what have I achieved or what it's more of what can I do and what can I be helping with on a consistent basis. It's always a look forward rather than a look past. Yes, I've implemented the uh, SAP Harvest. I've helped with large projects for equipment manufacturers, etc. I'm very much always looking forward on what's the next activity we can achieve. What's the next thing we can do? E-commerce never ends. Optimization of business processes never ends. So always looking forward is definitely what I'm most proud of is the ability to always be educating and always be informing
1: nice yeah i think that's a great mission right in the end of the day it's all about helping people and if you can do that via education or you know in a b2b e-commerce context and yeah i think you make a lot of people happy because yeah they need to order in day-to-day basis you know that's part of their lives part of their jobs and if you can do that in an easier way so that they these companies can become more efficient these people are more helped then i think that's a beautiful mission. So the last question I always have is actually always from a former guest. So this time yeah, you get a question from Jason Greenwood, who was on the show earlier. He's a consultant as well. And yeah, he has an interesting question about it. He said, yeah, B2B manufacturer distribution. wholesalers are quite different hey, in their needs, in the go-to market strategies. So yeah, we have, you also mentioned that, right? It was totally different in, in food and beverage and after sales. And sometimes they can be a combination, of course, and they are a little bit manufacturing and a little bit of a distributor as well. But if you could break down, if you would break down in percentages between B2B manufacturers, distributors, and wholesalers in the business you have worked with, maybe on the platform that you have have developed, let's say here you're cost- where you're mostly focused on manufacturing, mostly on distributors, or mostly on wholesalers, or was it also changing over time? I think that's also an interesting topic, which is going around in the industry. So maybe it's two questions in one, but start with one. So a breakdown in percentages, was it more manufacturers, distributors, or wholesalers, in your opinion? So if I look at my career, I think this is
0: a question about what I've what I've done in my career, mm-hmm. is how I'm perceiving this. So obviously, working at for a food manufacturer that's a manufacturer, selling into distributors, selling into operators there. So... Mm-hmm there's always in B2B, you have a connection of the entire supply chain. So while you're working for one as the proponent, you're making sure the other is the customer, making sure the customer, which is the other, is happy. And then I've worked with equipment manufacturers for a different e-commerce platform I used to work for. Obviously, that was a manufacturer serving dealers, distributors, and end use customers again. So That line of manufacturer, distributor, end-use operator, or end business there is very much blurry on a consistent basis. You see business models like B2B2X, where manufacturers are selling directly through their distributor base to the end customer. They're setting up websites on behalf of their distributor base and selling to the distributor's customers. That line is continuing to blur, and even the organization I work for now, I'm in the middle but I'm nor a distributor, nor a manufacturer, nor a supplier. I am a service provider. We are a service provider at the organization. So we help the distributor work with those suppliers to sell to those very much end, end customers. The lines are very much blurry on where, where you work from a business standpoint with e-commerce. It's very much about delivering value no matter if you're working with the
1: top of the supply chain or the bottom of the supply chain at the end customer. Correct, correct. Yeah, I think that is a great summary. Yeah, yeah man, you have seen it all, and I think that makes you a great consultant or a great digital leader in the space because yeah, you have experience in all those different segments. So I would say it's it's fifty-fifty, or it's maybe thirty-three percent for, for, for all three of them. And the other thing you mentioned is that it's sometimes blurry, you know, it's a little bit of everything mm-hmm. and that's also what we are seeing. Companies that are trying to produce something themselves, sometimes they want to go direct and all that stuff. So, makes sense, makes sense. Oh yeah, Derek, we learned a lot today, so what I said, time flies, so you mentioned a couple of these challenges that and how to overcome them, uh, the importance of integration to get your sales reps on, on board and how to deal with that, your leadership team, how to get them on board. From my point of view, this was a very, very great information for our listeners. But before we closing this episode, I give also you the opportunity to think about a question for our next guest. So maybe you have something in mind, maybe not. But for our next guest, what would be your question to ask?
0: Yeah, definitely. We've touched on this a few times already. I'm a big proponent for product data. Yeah. So my question for the next guest would be, how do you see the future of AI or chat GPT and those type of tools impacting the, the product data in e-commerce? How can it benefit? How can it hinder? What are the risks? What are the benefits?
1: Cool. Nice one. A similar question on, on, I think it was about AI in general, but not in relation to product. So that is the interesting expert. So I definitely will ask that one because it will give a new perspective on that topic. So thank you very much. And I think there is a lot going on in that area. And there is also a lot to tell there. So hopefully our next guest will supply you a nice answer. So thank you very much again, Derek. Thanks for the great show. And yeah, see you next time.
0: Thank you, Arno. Happy to be here. It was great talking to you.
1: Thank you.